the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Welcome to Education Nation, where we tackle the biggest issues in American education. School is now in session. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Mark Durkin. Well, we have a pretty big topic to cover today here. Um, Sometimes we cover light topics, sometimes we cover heavy ones, and this is a heavier one. And for the past few months, uh, if you've been listening to our show, you've um, noticed that we've spent considerable amount of time laying a foundation about America's founding principles as they are clearly laid out in the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution and the Bill of Rights. And our founders lived with the unshakable conviction that we were all created by our creator, the God of heaven and earth, with certain unalienable rights. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness were viewed as natural rights endowed endowed to us by God. And, you know, following the colonists' victory over Great Britain in the American Revolution, Rebecca, the above declaration made by our founding fathers, it did lead to the drafting of the U.S. Constitution whose foundation had to be moral and religious. We want to focus on freedom of religion, understood by our founders as a God-given right recognized in the First Mm -hmm. Amendment. Now, listening to the political atmosphere in America today and yesterday, one might draw the conclusion that this First Amendment provision from our Creator no longer exists, which is the furthest thing from right. the truth. Absolutely. So, but I think that's what our progressives want us to start to think is to start to feel like we have to only do it personally and we can't express it anywhere outside right. of our own homes or the churches that we go to. Absolutely. Um, and that's, that's that's called the freedom of worship. Right. And so we're going to distinguish mm-hmm. the difference between our God-given constitutional right of freedom of religion versus the new phraseology of freedom of worship. Now, mm-hmm. at first mention, I mean, the phrase does sound innocent. However, when you really examine what restrictions that they're trying to place on people of faith, you can clearly see that the freedom of religion exercise granted by God to us in the First Amendment is being used against American citizens. Mm-hmm. So that and, really, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say the, the words matter, you know, sometimes people think, well, these are, aren't these terms just interchangeable Inter, you know, freedom of worship, freedom of religion. No, they are not. Uh, words not. do matter, and and as we're going to point out throughout the show, yes. um, we're really seeing that shift. So and go ahead. Yeah, and that's why it's, you. No, that's fine. And that's why it's so important to understand the historical roots. Mm-hmm. If you don't know the roots, if you don't know where you've come and come from in history, right. you don't know where you're going. We hear that all the time. Mm-hmm. And if we don't know history, history always repeats itself as well, too. So, mm-hmm. you know, it really begs the question, what are these law-breaking politicians really saying when they use the phrase freedom of worship? Mm-hmm. Well, to understand the difference, we want to spend the next half hour really returning tracing the Founders' intentions with the First Amendment, examine some of their quotes as it pertains to the freedom of religion, and we'll also contrast that with sound bites 
from today's and yesterday's politicians that will give us a glimpse into the real agenda behind the Freedom of Worship slogan. And Mm -hmm. we'll also take a look at some of unlawful strategies that the government has in place to try to shut down the free exercise of religion beyond in any set of four walls. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I don't even know if I would say government as specifically as just this movement, this movement that wants to shut down freedom of religion and, Mm -hmm. and, and isolate it to freedom of worship is is you know as we're finding out it's not like necessarily this government entity that's making this happen this is a whole shift of progressives that are mm-hmm. um, collectively working on our society to try to isolate freedom of religion and to it, I- freedom of, re- really, of worship exactly and it really depends though who's in office mm-hmm, so you mm-hmm. know if it's inhabited by the wrong right. people in government it becomes a government issue I right think, right so. you are right that's a good point good point well let's go ahead and rewind to the founders drafting of the first amendment because i think sometimes as you pointed out we don't know our history as well as we used to um, it's not taught in schools and often when it is taught in schools, it is taught from a more liberal progressive viewpoint. So um, let's take a look. For this First Amendment, as it pertains to religion, the clause states, uh, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. That part seems to be the part that people tend to know, because that's what the liberal progressives tend to focus on. But the comma and the rest of the statement says or prohibiting free exercise thereof or prohibiting free exercise thereof that is such an important part of the clause so this is saying no we're not going to have a state church you know like the church of england and that's why our british um, colonists came in the first place but we're also not going to prohibit or prohibit. We're not going to do anything that would prohibit the free exercise thereof. That word is religion. It's not worship. It's yes. religion in our First Amendment. So it's really important for people to know that. Then um, not only does it uh, protect this God-given right that we have, which is emphasized under the First Amendment to live out our religious faiths, but it also protects you if you don't want to live out your faith, right? Yes. So it's not saying you have to right. uh, be of a religious persuasion. It's just saying that if you are, you should have the freedom to be able to to you know live it out Absolutely. in all parts of your lives. And you know that that really does affect when you stop and think about it. It affects the views that you have about things in the world. It affects how you spend your time, how you spend your money. Um, it affects maybe even where you might want to work, depending on you know what the views and values of those organizations might be. And we're seeing more of that happening today as well. Absolutely. Um, but really, it's important to reemphasize that the freedom of religion is a natural right. It's given to us by our creator. It's a higher law. So it's above government. Government is not the one that gives us our laws or our rights. Excuse me. They give us our laws, but they don't give us our rights. And so we have to really claim that as citizens that we have this higher power that has given us and granted us our right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And part of that is then being able to live out our religious beliefs. And so they cannot be taken away from the rule of law or from the federal government. And so when the when the founders drafted that First Amendment with the creator of heaven and earth in mind, um, they wanted to make sure that the federal government was not going to try to take away these natural um, these natural rights that Absolutely. we have. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, the founders, they really infer they affirmed rather the importance of morality and religion. 
Um, in fact, you know, religious oppression was really what led to the American Revolution in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and this really all traces back to the medi- medieval period, rather. You know, Europeans, they assumed the union between church and state. Mm-hmm. And they also assumed that persecution of those who challenged that union, and they thought it was simply natural. They thought all of it as, you know, being God-sanctioned. Um, initially, it happened in the American colonies, and a lot of people may not be familiar with this, but various Protestant groups had lobbied to be the officially hmm. recognized religion. And Pretty interesting, isn't it, yes. when they were running from that? Exactly. Um, that there would be some Protestant groups that were still trying to make that happen here? Right, and that always carried mm-hmm. over, too, into the 19th century, and that's what gave rise to the persecution of the Catholics who wanted to practice right. their freedom of religion. Yeah, we covered that in another yeah, show about education. Right, the Blaine Amendments then mm-hmm. that we now are starting to see that are unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. So at this time that Protestant groups were lobbying to be the officially recognized religion, you had Anglicans in Virginia that actually paid priests with tax dollars. <laughs> and so the red flag that really came up is that British efforts to increase now the Anglican church's influence, it raised an alarm. Yeah. In fact, Parliament was willing to even lessen the colonists' religious liberty then the founders recognized that all liberty was going to be at risk. Mm -hmm. And this was even recognized a good decade, almost two decades before the American Revolution in the 1760s, uh, by a Presbyterian pastor. His name was John Zubley. And he warned the British government that Americans, they're not idiots, he said, and they appear determined not to be slaves. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, slaves to the government religion. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. They they knew that that's what they were running from, and they certainly didn't want it repeated over in America. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And John Adams, who was a signer of the Declaration of Independence and eventually the second president of the United States, he said that this, quote-unquote, growing apprehension really contributed as much as any cause to the decay of America's loyalty to Britain. And that is what was leading directly to the Mm -hmm. American Revolution. George Mm -hmm. Washington, of course, he's recognized as the father of America, uh, the revolutionary general and first president of the country. Uh, He knew that human corruption would put all kinds of liberties at risk. And he said, his quote was, we must take human nature as we find it. Perfection falls not to the share of Hmm. mortals. I think that is such an important quote because, you know, we all tend to be somewhat idealistic, right? We all want to think that, oh, but, you know, we're all so good. But when we really stop and think about it, we realize when we all we have to do is look around and watch the news a little bit, um, that there is corruption and sin all around us. People make bad choices. Even good people make bad choices sometimes. And then there's a lot of people out there that, you know, have really made so many bad choices that you have to wonder, you know, are they even good people anymore, right? Um, we wouldn't label a murderer uh, a good person. And um, and yet, somehow, we still think that we can pursue these idyllic notions that people are good and that we should all just be able to get along and we don't need any type of moral boundaries because, well, can't we just all get along? Right. And uh, But that's not reality, and George Washington knew that. He knew that. In fact, you know, what we see all around us all the time, people across the world, not just here in America, are making decisions that seem right to themselves. Mm-hmm. But in the end, it's just producing death. Yeah. And um, 
And yeah, and with that in mind, you know, the founders, they recognized that in order for freedom of religion to withstand the sins of human nature, they rejected a state church. Mm -hmm. Instead, they constitutionally guaranteed a free market of religion. Yeah, that's an important detail, too, because I think sometimes when people think about the separation of church and state, which, by the way, is not written into the Constitution. um, We covered that in a different show as well. Um, But this notion that they didn't want a state church, it wasn't because they didn't agree with having church, they were very much uh, either Christians or theist, theistic type people yes. that believed in the Judeo-Christian ethic and that the morals, whether they were practicing Christians or um, Jewish people themselves, they believed that the morals of Christianity and Judaism were what allowed a nation to become free and to remain free. Yes. And so they felt that, that religious freedom was extremely important for helping guide and direct the moral compass of the nation. Yes, that's exactly right. Obedience to Christian principles guaranteed religious freedom for all. That's how they saw it. Absolutely. Yeah. And the founders' convictions, they were firm and they were aligned with Scripture of the Holy Bible. They were almost unanimous in their beliefs in the soul's immortality, divine judgment, providential acts, sin nature, Mm -hmm. moral absolutes, the human capacity to bear God's image, order in the universe, public virtue, and the general teachings of the Bible. Hmm. Moral absolutes. Boy, yeah. you know, nobody likes that word anymore. No, they don't. Too restrictive, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, and yet, you know, this was with this was what brought us the freedoms that we now enjoy today. Yes. And we have to understand that sometimes guardrail guardrails are important. Um, guardrails often provide more freedom than not having any guardrails at all. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, as you mentioned, the founders did recognize public virtue and national success do tend to go together. And David Barton of the Atkin Bible and Congress from wallbuilders.com stated that even though the American Revolution wouldn't officially end until 1783, the Continental Congress of 1777 actually ordered 20,000 Bibles for distribution amongst the states. And the reason was because they were concerned that, well, here's the exact quote, unless timely care be used to prevent it, we shall not have Bibles for our schools and families and for the public worship of God in our churches. So they were concerned, right? That that, that it was no longer, they knew education was first, but they were obviously concerned that without being intentional about getting these Bibles into the hands of the schools, that it might not happen. Right. And their chief mm-hmm. aim in education was to have morality and virtue to be learned to right. preserve that freedom of to, religion. Yeah. That's why get the Bibles out there. Yeah. And as you've uh, suggested in another show as well, the Northwest Ordinance actually explicitly states that. Yes. Um, I think we had Senator Hannon who first talked about that on one of our shows a number of months ago. Um, but the Northwest Ordinance of 1787 actually has an Article 3 that states, Religion, morality, and knowledge being necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind, schools, and the means of education shall forever be encouraged. So in other words, they knew that they had to have schools that encouraged religion, morality, and knowledge so that they could have good government and happiness in their citizens. And forever means forever. Forever means forever, exactly. And that law is still on our books, right? From the Northwest Ordinance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, then in 1789, the Congress approved the printing of the first English Bible for schools and citizens. And a gentleman named Benjamin Rush... Uh, signer of the Declaration of Independence, served under three different presidents and founded five different colleges. 
He was a professor that wrote textbooks and was known as the father of public schools under our Constitution. And Rush did defend the use of the pub, of the Bible in public schools because he knew that it could reduce crime. Absolutely. You know, and I've seen that you know, people complain about seeing the Ten Commandments up in various places, mm-hmm. but what harm is it? You know, right. <laughs> often it does remind people to make good decisions. Absolutely. And, it's the framework and, for our legal system. Exactly. Exactly. So um, I, I guess that Rush was ahead of his time understanding that living by that did reduce crime. Yes. Um, and Benjamin Franklin was another one who supported Christian principles in public education, even though I believe he was a theist. Yes. Um, and he founded schools in, uh, for African-Americans. And he also founded uh, the University of Pennsylvania. And he thought that part of that was, the, or the main purpose of that was to instruct in the Bible. And I know a lot of our Ivy League schools, if you look back at their history, they were founded by Harvard too. Uh, Christians and for the purpose of, you know, passing on our our values and, and beliefs and traditions of Absolutely. this country. Because education is what does that. Yes, it does. Yeah. Yes, it does. And, you know, this, this uh, continued on well into the 1800s. And Abraham Lincoln, who was the nation's 16th president, he rightly stated the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of the government of the next. And also in the 1800s, a, a man named William McGuffey, he boldly declared that the Christian religion is the religion of America. And he also remembered, is remembered rather as the schoolmaster of the nation. He's credited for creating the first Teachers Association, and his McGuffey's Reader's textbooks served as the pillar of public education throughout America until 1920. In fact, he had 125 million copies of the McGuffey's Readers that were sold as of 1963. Hmm. In his textbooks, they encouraged the ideas of salvation, righteousness in Christ, and and holiness. And these in the a, public schools. That's just right. so hard to believe. I know. I can't imagine that at all. <laughs> McGuffey would be a little bit blown away by what the teachers' organizations oh, are like now. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> what they're being taught. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and these are just a few of countless examples, though, of testimonies of the many men who really contributed in the shaping of the nation. And the founders took seriously the Bible's instruction in Proverbs 22.6 to train a child in the way they should go. And when they would grow old, they would not turn from it. And also in the Bible in Acts 5.29... Uh, the disciples uh, had mentioned that it was better to obey God than it was uh, to obey men. Mm. Uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, I've heard of some schools actually using the McGuffey readers, obviously not uh, public schools, but I have heard of those before and I've never actually looked at them myself. But um, interesting, I did not know that that the person who wrote those books was um, so influential in education in the United States. So mm-hmm. that's that's an interesting an interesting point. Well, as we kind of move on here, we look at the freedom of religion and, and see that there's benefits both for the religious and the non-religious alike. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe before we take a look at that, we'll take a little break. We've kind of thrown a lot of information at people here, and yes. I think it's important for give us give you some time to absorb all of that. Yes. And we'll take a little break, and we'll come right back. Thank you. Well, welcome back to Education Nation, where we are discussing freedom of religion versus freedom of worship. And uh, we want to keep going here. We have so much to share with you, and I know we're going to run out of time. But um, so we're going to just very, very briefly mention some benefits that we discussed earlier about um, 
for for both the religious and the non-religious for there to be freedom of religion. And I think some people think, well, why do we really need that, especially if they're not um, religious themselves? But really, it benefits all people. And some examples are the fact that, you know, the universities were actually started by Christians way back. And we have organizations, all kinds of nonprofits that help with homelessness yes. and food, you know, food shelters and things like that. And I think of Chuck Colson's fellow, Prison Fellowship Ministry, ministry yeah. and the recidivism rate of prisoners that entered that program was much lower than the average. I want to say it was like down to 5% recidivism versus I think what the average is is 60, 50, 60%. It's quite high. Absolutely. And um, so there's there's benefits to society. Right. And that's what our founders recognize. So right. that's an important point. Yeah, and I just want to mention too, you know, on the list too is Mother Teresa. You know, you think of her ministry, she's has passed away, but still serves millions in over 600 communities in over 130 countries around yeah. the world. So does that ministry benefit the world at large or is it benefiting just the ministry? Absolutely. The world at large for sure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, liberal progressives, you know, we talk about their beginning to shift uh, the conversation from freedom of religion uh, to freedom of worship. Um, basically, the definition uh, that is given for freedom of worship, uh, according to a policy analyst from the Heritage Foundation, hmm. uh, Sarah Torrey, she argued it said it was the argument that faith should remain a private affair relegated to personal activities or weekend worship services. Step outside the four walls of a home or a house of worship and the robust protection of religious freedom ends. Which is so unconstitutional. Oh, is it ever? It was unfathomable to the fathers that you would go out of the four walls of your place of worship and then not be able to practice what right. you believe. Right. Absolutely. So now this woman, Sarah Tory, she's from the Heritage Foundation. So she's not advocating this. She is just saying that this is basically the definition of the what definition. it is. definition. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, President Obama, or former President Obama, he began changing the language between his June 2009 speech in Cairo, Egypt, to the November 2009 memorial for the Fort Hood soldiers that were uh, murdered by a radical uh, Muslim terrorist. Mm -hmm. And the phrase freedom of worship first appeared uh, during that that speech. Hmm. And, you know... When we look at how just crucial this really is, we begin to see some of the activities and actions that took place uh, following some of those speeches. Mm-hmm. Uh, over the course of, you know, from 2010 really to the end of the Obama presidency, I mean, this really matters to investigate this because, you know, you look at landowners who have been fined and mm-hmm. have lost their properties for refusing to lease them for uh, same-sex ceremonies, mm-hmm. bakery owners. Uh, there's one out in Oregon, um, husband and wife duo. They lost their business and had to pay a hundred and thirty-five thousand dollar fine. Hmm. Um, you know, there was a. a and these a, are private businesses. Yes, mm-hmm. private businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so it's also important to understand too that doctors they should have the protections uh, to not perform an abortion if it violates right. their religious belief system. Absolutely. And so uh, this is really kind of what's up front and center. And later on in the program, we'll talk about some strategies that are in place to try to go beyond the law to uh, really uh, suffocate religious uh, freedom. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. In 2015, you know, the federal government was really brought to task with the omission of the constitutional freedom of religion 
with freedom of worship on the U.S. immigration exam. Yeah, and I did not know about that. Yeah, this is a, just, yeah. <laughs> a profound soundbite yeah. that we're going to listen to. But, it, you know, what happened was um, the 2015 U.S. Citizen and Immigration Services Questionnaire Civics Test, It had a there was a glaring change uh, that was uh, brought to task mm-hmm. uh, during one of the... Uh, the uh, there was a a hearing that mm-hmm. was done before uh, Obama's former Department of Homeland Security uh, Jay Johnson. This was brought forth by uh, U.S. Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma, and here's what he had to say about this civics exam. Mm-hmm. Take we'll, a listen. We'll follow up on that. Okay, this is just a personal pet peeve. Yes. So we're going to go off off the rails for a minute. Okay. This, this is something that has has been there for ten years that I'd like to see shift at some point. Okay. Uh, the USCIS questionnaire in the civics test, the oral test, has in it one of these things: what two rights? What what are two rights of everyone living in the United States? And then it lists out six different things: freedom of expression, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom to petition the government, freedom of worship, the right to bear arms. Now, this has been around for a decade on it. I'd love to see freedom of worship actually shift to freedom of religion. We in the United States actually have freedom of religion, not freedom of worship. Worship confines you to a location. Freedom of religion, we have the right to, to express. The, we, we have this unique ability in America not to say that our government limits us to worship in this spot and you can do anything you want. It's to be able to live your faith. That's something that's, again, that's previous conversations on it, but love for you to be able to take a look at that again. Hmm. Way to go, Senator James Langford. Or Lang- yeah, Langford or yeah. Lankford? Uh, yes, Langford. I don't know. From Oklahoma. Boy, I am so impressed that he was so articulate in pointing that out. Isn't but, it sad there has to be a civics uh, lesson uh, at a uh, hearing uh, of our elected officials? Absolutely. That's for sure. Well, um, perhaps probably the most egregious radical statement ever made against religious liberty came from Hillary Clinton during the early stages of her run for the presidency. And before we play the soundbite of her attack, we must understand that Clinton really has believed um, that she was going to usher in the taxpayer-funded abortion abortion on demand. And um, that became pretty clear um, through Voices for Progress President Sandy Newman. Um, that came through on WikiLeaks. She wrote to John Podesta um, that there needed to be a Catholic spring mm-hmm. and um, that they needed to demand the end of the Middle Ages dictatorship and the beginning of the democracy and respect for gender equality in the Catholic Church. So this started, um, you know, with a push against the Catholic religion because of their stance on abortion and presumably homosexuality. Um, but on this particular issue, she's speaking of women's rights, and she spoke at, a, at a, an event at the Women in the World Summit and listen to what she has to say about religious freedom. But far too many women are still denied critical access to reproductive health care and safe childbirth. All the laws we've passed don't count for much if they're not enforced. Rights have to exist in practice, not just on paper. Laws have to be backed up with resources and political will. And deep-seated cultural codes, religious beliefs, and structural biases have to be changed. Mm. Do you hear that? Deep-seated cultural codes and religious beliefs and structural biases have to be changed. Not so subtle. Not subtle at all. In other words, hey, 
stop practicing your religious faith. And I know I saw an African-American woman respond to a Western interviewer on Facebook in just the last couple of months, and she called that um, colonization or or what did she call that? An ideological colonization, trying to tell another uh, culture what's good for them. And uh, that's exactly what Hillary Clinton was doing there. And we've discussed quite a bit uh, this half an hour just uh, the foundational principles of why the freedom of religion is God-given and why it is important for the sustaining of a free society. But we've covered a lot in this show, and if you'd like, you certainly can check out some of our past shows that we've done on, say, the rise of American progressivism, uh, as civics education declined, the Blaine Amendments. Those really sum up everything that we were pointing to today. And certainly feel free to go to klbbradio.com and click on programs to listen to those past shows to kind of get a complete picture of what we're discussing today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're so happy to be able to discuss this. It's such an important topic, and we hope you'll join us again next week on Education Nation. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com. <laughs> 